Good morning. My name is Brian Hare, and the Old Testament reading is found in Ecclesiastes 3, 9 through 14a. What do workers gain from all their hard work? I have observed the task that God has given human beings. God has made everything fitting in its time, but he has also placed eternity in their hearts without enabling them to discover what God has done from the beginning to the end. I know that there's nothing better for them but to enjoy themselves and do what's good while they live. Moreover, this is the gift of God, that all people should eat, drink, and enjoy the results of their hard work. I know that whatever God does will last forever. It's impossible to add to it or take away from it. God has done this so that people are reverent before him. The word of the Lord. Good morning, my name is Rachel Hare, and the New Testament reading is found in 1 Corinthians 14, 56 through 58. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Brent. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in John 4, 31 to 34. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought us something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The gospel of the Lord. Praise be to God. Please remain standing while we pray. Oh, Lord, open our eyes. We want to see Jesus today. Lord, open our ears. We want to hear Jesus today. And Lord, open our hearts that we might love and serve and follow Jesus today. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I've missed you guys. It's been a couple weeks, and they were, they were wonderful weeks. Um, but too long, and I really miss being with all of you. I, I am so thrilled, though, to have and to be part of a wonderful team here. I heard that Pastor Joey Jimenez did an awesome job a couple Sundays ago, and that Dr. Stephen Todd did a great job with a very tough text last Sunday. Um, in, in fact, he was sort of wondering if I was giving him a, a, you know, sabotaging him on purpose by giving him a text that said, I hate my life, you know? Um, but the thing is, is he did such a great job with it that, uh, you know, everybody loved it. So we are in the middle of a series through the book of Ecclesiastes, which, you know, is not normally, not typically the kind of book that you just pick up and, and say, so I'm going to read in my quiet time this morning out of Ecclesiastes and hope that God will just make something speak to me today. All oh, vanity, all is vanity. And you're like, yes, Lord. You know. We don't usually do that with Ecclesiastes, but we're journeying through it. And the series is called Finding Joy because we're journeying through it to say, Lord, where is the joy? Where is the joy in the things uh, in the experiences that we have in this life? One of the themes that we see throughout the book um, is a kind of redemptive cynicism. And we talked, we set this up in week one where the teacher, who's sort of understood to be Solomon, it may or may not be, or maybe someone who wants to make us think of Solomon, so Solomon-esque. But the teacher keeps talking about life under the sun, and it, it's, he invites us to explore the limits to everything as it is 
right here on earth. And so if you were to kind of picture like a, a dome with the closed roof and we're probing the depths of this, the limits of this, a little bit like Jim Carrey's character in The Truman Show where he doesn't realize he's on a TV set but all of a sudden he starts to get suspicious and it's that kind of suspicion or, or cynicism that leads him to explore and when he gets in that boat and, and, and rows to the edge of the lake and he realizes, wait a minute, that's not the sky, that's a piece of wood, that's a set. And that's a little bit like what Ecclesiastes invites us to do, to test out the limits of life under the sun and to find something beyond it, to find something beyond it. And so in week one, we talked about this redemptive cynicism. In week two, we talked about the many different pleasures. And, and it's only when we realize the limits of the pleasures that are in this world that we can then recognize its gifts. Once we recognize what it can give and what it can't give, the ultimate then we are able to receive its good gifts. And last week was about kind of the limits and boundaries of wisdom, that wisdom is good. It's sort of better than being a fool, but at the same time, there are things even wisdom and knowledge can't understand. And there is this mystery to the gospel and the mystery of what Christ has done for us. Today, we're talking about work and we're talking about seasons. We're calling it our toil and our time. Is there a way that we can make sense of all of this? Listen to way, the, the way the teacher frames it here. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 22. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. When was the last time you said that? Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. A few verses earlier, he said, you toil and you work and you basically build up your business and then you hand it over to someone else who doesn't have the same values as you and it's all vanity. Some of you are thinking about that. You're toward the finish line in your own business and you're thinking, yeah, I've worked hard to build it to what it is and it's a little bit depressing to think about the yahoos I got to turn it over to, you know. Like, What's going on? This Hebrew word be, for, for this, this English word vanity, the Hebrew word for it is havel. It literally means a breath, emptiness, a vapor, a mist, smoke. It's just passing. Someone suggested after the second week that we should maybe, instead of calling this series Finding Joy, maybe we should call it What the Havel, you know? Just because, I'll leave that with you to decide. But it's just, as you come to the edges of this, you say, what's going on? My work seems so tiresome. And I've chosen the word toil instead of purely work because, you know, toil implies the hardship. Toil implies the resistance. You'll remember that in Genesis, work was a pre-fall call. God gave Adam and Eve a job to do before there was a fall. It was just an assignment. But it's because of the fall that our work all of a sudden now becomes toil. It becomes hard. For Adam, it was resistance from the ground itself. And for us, it's not just resistance from the ground, it's resistance from people. It's the resistance of working with colleagues or working with market forces or, or the trends and the whims of, of, of a new generation, whatever it might be. You're realizing, man, there is a lot of resistance. This isn't just work, this is toil. And what do we do with our toil? Is there any point to it at all? This little section here at the end of Ecclesiastes 2 bleeds right into Ecclesiastes 3. Now, 
you, you, you'll know this, but the Bible in its original form didn't have chapters and verses. So it's all one sort of section. And if you were to kind of pretend there were no chapters or verses there, you would actually notice that the teacher has bracketed this poem, the famous poem that we're about to read about to everything there is a time and a sea. He's bracketed it with a question about toil, that actually toil and time are connected. And so listen to the poem now with that in mind. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for everything under heaven. Someone should write a song about this. Oh, wait. Yeah. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break up and a, oh, sorry, break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. One of the first things we can say about our toil and our time is that our work must match the season that we're in. Our work must match the season that we're in. Because think about this. Here is this poem where he's saying, there's, look, there's a time to do this and a time to do that. And, and if you're like me, you're saying, well, which one is it? I'm a bit frustrated. Just give me the rules. But see, wisdom literature doesn't work like that. It tells you that sometimes this is the right thing to do. Sometimes this is the right thing to do. And it takes wisdom to discern that our work must match the season that we're in. Some of you will remember me saying this, but my father-in-law is a farmer in Iowa, and he comes from a few generations of farmers, and he's kind of one of those old-school farmers. Like, he doesn't do GPS combines or tractors, whatever. I mean, he goes out. I mean, he's still one of the, the rare farmers that actually goes out and walks the beans, meaning pulls the weeds and all that, instead of, you know, planting GMO beans and round, that are Roundup-ready and all of that. So he, he, he's kind of this purist. But he's given me over the years several different talks of the life of the farm and farming is a lifestyle. And so I've gradually picked up a little bit about it. And it occurs to me that to do that kind of farming in, in this traditional sense, it really requires that you pay attention to seasons. And sometimes the right work for the right season is not what you might expect. For example, when is the season that you need firewood? Winter. But when is the season you actually chop down and prepare the firewood? N not winter. <laughs> you know, summer. <laughs> when you're thinking, this is summer, everything's been planted, we're waiting for that, what do I do? You don't just go, you know, do whatever you want. You start saying, you know what, right now, this is the season of preparation for the next season. And you begin to do the right work for the right season. I remember when I was in college, you know, 600 years ago, <laughs> no, it's like 20 years ago, seems long, a long time, but I was a junior in college, and, and my dad was, um, uh, uh, or uh, th this guy had come to some of us and said, hey, there's an opportunity for us to get a band together and uh, to lead worship for all these youth events in different arenas, you know, and I had, I've been studying theology, I was kind of this, uh, you know, sort of nerdy guy, if you can Im imagine that, and, um, 
And, um, but I was also involved with the chapel praise and worship team, and so there's a little bit of cool factor coming, a little bit. But this guy had said, hey, man, we've got this opportunity, and Glenn, we want you to be the keyboard player in the band. We're going to go. But the thing is, you're going to have to take a semester off from school. And I was thinking, oh, that's no big deal, one semester. I mean, I can do that, right? So I'm so excited. I call my parents. And this is back in the day where an international phone call was like three bucks a minute. You know, the, the internet was still like a modem and dial-up. Remember that, right? And you couldn't really Skype because it's like too, too, yeah. so, so I'm calling. I have, have to be brief. I'm like, Dad, there's this guy. He's going to lead worship. wants to put a band together. Just got to take a semester off of school. And there's kind of this pause on the other end. He's like, well... Sounds like a great opportunity, son. But you know, there will never be a shortage of opportunities. And the question is, what is this season for? And he said, this is a season where you're supposed to study. I was crushed, but he was right. And of course, later on, you know, 10 years or so after that, I did eventually join part of a band that traveled and play youth events and whatnot. There was a time for that. It wasn't that that work was wrong. It was that that work didn't match the season I was in. And it's very important to kind of know that. I think about my mom, you know, um, knowing the times to, to push me and the times to comfort me. The time to say, you did a great job. And I'll be like, no, it was No, it's okay. That was great. And other times when I'm like overly happy about something, say, you know, I, that was great. But I think you could have done, you know, oh, yeah, you're right. And it, sometimes it takes, as parents and as mothers in particular, discerning, what is it I need to kind of push? And how do I need to press? Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature. Proverbs is also one of those uh, um, wisdom literature books. And they don't come to us, as I said, as rules or principles. They come to us in these things that we have to wrestle in. The one New Testament book that fits New Test- uh, wisdom literature is the book of James. And James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask. Now, I have found out that whenever God speaks to me, it's usually through my wife. And so it's almost like James should have said, if, anyone, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask, and his wife will tell him, you know? And uh, <laughs> so a few years ago, uh, Holly said, I, I, think we need to, um, I think we need to spend a couple days at the beginning of every year and just pray for a word for the season. And to, just to, just to kind of, and she's, you know, she's not like super spiritual or anything like that, but I just thought, that's a good idea. And so... We, we do that now for the last couple of years. We'll go away in January just for a couple of days and say, okay, Lord, is there, is there a word or a phrase that describes the season for us personally that we're entering in? What about for our children? What, what about for Sophia? What about for Nora? What about for Jonas? What about for Jane? Like, what, where are they at? What's going on in their hearts? And sometimes you just need to stop and say, what is it? But see, here's the good news, you guys, is this is what the Holy Spirit loves to do. This is what the Spirit of God loves to do, rather than us kind of saying, well, how do I know what the right work for the right season is? Just, well, let's, let's, let's just ask. Let's just see if he'll prompt us. And then don't, don't sweat it. Don't get all like, you know, overly, uh, you know, fixated on what am I supposed to, you know. Just, Lord, is there a, a specific little nudge, a little thing? Because our work must match our season. But there's something else the teacher goes on to say. Verse 9. What gain has the worker from his toil? See, now here he is. This is the question that he had said at the end of chapter 2. And then he does the whole poem on time. And then he comes back to the question, what do we gain from our toil? And if you, if you skip down to verse 13, he says, this is God's gift to man. So I want to say this. Our work is a gift from God. 
Our work is a gift from God. I know there's things about our work that are toil, toilsome, laborious, heavy, hard, difficult. And yet here it is, verse 10, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. God has given it to us to be busy with. See, there's, there's the kind of busyness that comes from our own sort of manic fears that we won't matter, that we need to make a mark. There's the kind of busyness that comes from shame or guilt. And then there's a kind of busyness that comes from believing that this work was given to me from God. Like, I've been called to do this. I've been given this assignment. Now, is, does that mean that every single detail of your job can be like, oh, thank you, God, for the gift of email, you know? Thank you, Lord, for the gift of filing another report, you know? Put the cover sheet on the TPS reports, you know? No, 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 I'm not saying that. But I'm saying there's something about waking up each day and saying, God, there's an assignment, isn't there, that, that you have for me today, even in the midst of my job. There's an assignment that you have for me, even in the midst of my tasks and my toil. See, Paul says it this way in Ephesians. He says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. He says, You're, you are God's workmanship. The, the Greek there is poema, his poem, his masterpiece. You're his work of art, and he's prepared for you a work of art to set your hands to. And this isn't about like, oh, again, like, okay, God, what is it? Is it cornflakes or grape nuts, you know? <laughs> Lord, should I ride the bike or the bus, you know? Lord, should I take this job? Okay, good, pray, fine, but, but don't sweat it. Be free. Be free and trust that in every situation there is a place for you to do the larger work of loving him well and loving the people around you well. Do you know you can, as it turns out, you can do that in many contexts. You can do that in the home. You can do that outside the home. You can do it with every part of who you are. I don't know why it's all college stories today, but when I was in college, uh, there was a chance to, to um, audition for the, the college orchestra. And I once upon a time played trumpet, um, and I didn't play it very well, um, but I thought, hey, there's a little bit of scholarship money to be had, so let's go ahead and audition. So I made it into the orchestra, but I was third chair trumpet. Now, if you've been in an orchestra before, third chair anything doesn't do much, okay? So the first and second chair trumpet, they get the cool stuff. They get the you know, like all the like very royal, majestic, you know. and third chair trumpet, you do a lot of this, like one, two... Three, four, bum, bum, one, two, three, yeah, you do a lot of that, you do a lot of waiting, you do a lot of kind of sitting and just waiting for your turn, right? <laughs> and it may feel like your place in God's story is small. It might feel like the sheet of music that he has in front of you involves a lot of bars of rest, a lot of waiting. And even when you do play, you're not sure how spectacular it is. You're like, I don't know, I'm just doing the dishes for the 10th time today, you know, picking up toys once again, you know. And yet, could it be that those very ordinary notes are part of an extraordinary symphony? And we don't always hear it. But that our work has been given to us as a task, as an assignment, as part of a gift, as part of God inviting us into his story. But then Solomon goes on. He has made everything beautiful in its time. 
Also, he has put eternity into man's heart so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them to be joyful and to do good than, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Solomon's saying, you know what? I just, just do the best you can. You don't see the whole picture. And trust that in the end, God makes it beautiful. So yes, our work must match our season. Yes, our work is a gift from God. But this piece is the most important one. Our work is made beautiful by God. Our work is made beautiful by God. I think of parents with small children, and particularly mothers who are home with those children, this is like the life breath for you today. It can sometimes feel like, man, my goodness, does anything that I'm doing matter? Like, I got so little accomplished today that if I get another question about what I did today, I'm going to scream. And maybe there's this relief to say, you know what, it's okay. I did get a lot done yesterday, today I didn't. Maybe that's you, in, you know, even this season. And to say, it's okay. I have this sense of eternity in my heart, but my piece of it's pretty small. My piece of it's really small. And it's, it's amazing. This phrase is a bit tricky. Several commentaries are like, it's a bit hard to wrestle through this phrase, but somehow there's the sense that we know there's something more and beyond us, but all we can see is our little slot in it. In the last couple of weeks, um, some of my, my um, travels was able to see some places that are really extraordinary and, and some things that commemorate great thinkers and rulers and artists and all of that. It's beautiful. And yet, you know what? They're all gone. <laughs> they didn't know where they fit in the big story. They came, did what they could. Some of them we remember today. Most of them we don't. And there is this sense where Solomon is saying, you know what? Our little piece of this is so small, and yet it is God who can make it beautiful. And yet it is God who can make it count. And yet it is God who can make it part of the story. So do the best that you can with each moment and trust the God who makes all things beautiful. Trust him with this. And then in the midst of it, you know, there are those little, little moments. Solomon says, look, if you can enjoy some of your toil, good for you. Go for it, you know. Once in a while, you, you have the satisfaction of like, I really, I really nailed that business deal or that presentation. Like, that, wow, thanks, Thanks, Lord. That was kind of a gift from you, wasn't it? Or that brief moment where all the kids are clean and bathed and ready for bed prior to them sneaking down in the kitchen to get yogurt one last time and spilling it all over their clothes and their hair, you know. And you're like, yes, Lord. There's a little bit of a reward here. There's a little something here. And you, it's in those moments that you pause and you say, okay, doing what I can. You're the one who makes it beautiful. You're the one who makes it count. See, Jesus, we heard in the gospel reading today that Jesus said, I came into the world, my food is to do the will of my Father and to accomplish his work. If you read John's gospel, it's all through John's gospel. Jesus talks about work and his work and him doing the Father's work and how he's got an assignment and he's very aware of it. And it looks different in different places and with different people, but he's, a, he's keenly tuning in to his assignment. But you know what else? You know what Jesus' work was? To do for you and for, and for me what we could not do for ourselves. What is it we can't do for ourselves? 
We can't erase our guilt and our shame of our mistakes in, work, in our work. We can't take away remorse or regret from our own lives, but he can. We can't reach God and ascend to the heavens and be one with him, but he, he did. You know what else? I think some of us work really, really hard because we have this hunger, this sense of like, I was made for greatness and glory and I've got to keep. But do you know in the long run, that's a lousy motivation for work because you just keep on the treadmill over and over again like this hamster. And Jesus says, I know what you're searching for and I've achieved that work and I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it fully to you. Others of you, 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 you know, it's very difficult to work from a place of shame and guilt. You can parent out of a place of guilt. Oh, I've got to be a better mom. I gotta be, I gotta. You, 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 can, you can do business out of a place of guilt and shame. I just got to. And there's something that Jesus' work accomplished that frees you. Jesus' work accomplished for us what we could never do for ourselves. Removing all of the guilt for our mistakes uniting us with God and setting us on the path to becoming fully who he made us to be. One in the negative sense, freeing us, and one in the positive sense, raising us up. Jesus' work did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And because of that, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What it means for you and for me is for all of us who are in Christ, we can take our work, our little feeble, imperfect efforts, and say, Jesus, I am offering them up in you. I've tried today. I tried. It's kind of a mess, but I tried. And to put it in him and to say, thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your mercy, for your strength. And thank you, Lord, that all the labor that is done in you is not in vain. Somehow he makes it beautiful. Somehow he makes it count. We have four children. Our youngest is about to turn three. And she's been in this phase of always, you know, wanting to sit uh, on our laps or be held, and particularly by Holly. And, and so there'll be times, you know, when Holly's trying to work on an email or a document or something, and, and Jane will be like, Mommy, I'll sit in your lap. I want to do your work, you know. And just imagine, you know, if she's, okay, fine. Here, sit on my lap. You, you can help mommy with her work. Open up the laptop. Op- secretly open up a, a new Word doc that, you know, she can't mess up. And just pounding on, okay, not quite that hard. Just a little gentler, you know. And then she's done, you know, climbs off her lap. And then, you know, we clean that up. Okay, got it. And I wonder if that's a little bit like the Lord with us. God, I want to help you. I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Come on on my lap. <laughs> okay, maybe not so hard. Yeah. And then we're done. We're like. And he's like. Deleted, deleted, deleted. Okay. And he makes all things beautiful in his time. I wonder if God invites us to surrender our toil and our work to him 
Not because he needs our work. I mean, really. He gave you the very gifts that you have. But why? Because he needs your work? No, because he wants you on his knee. He wants you close to him. He wants you on his lap. And I wonder if that changes everything about how we think about our toil and our time.